My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God, and I'm so glad that you are joining me here again as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are in Matthew 22 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 22 of Matthew 22. This is in Jesus' last week uh, on earth before his crucifixion. It's an amazing time documented by Matthew, and it's where Jesus tells his last few parables And these are very important parables because Jesus is really now appealing to the sense of the desperation coming from the religious leaders of who are you? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these people, they're they're trying to work out who he is. And Jesus is giving them clue after clue after clue. And that's the the kind of setting that we go into Matthew 22. So let's start in verse 1. Jesus answered and spoke to them. Now, starts off with, and Jesus. So what is that? We're just straight in from the last verse of uh, chapter 21, straight into chapter 22. Uh, this is where they, they he's just told the, the uh, parables of the vine dresser, uh, the parable of the two sons. Uh, and he says, this is, this is how it's all going to be for you. And he's talking to the, the Jewish religious leaders. So it starts off from verse 22 with the word, and, which means he's still continuing his conversation to them. The context of Matthew 22, 23, 24 is incredibly important for us understanding them. That's why I'm painting the picture for you. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, sent out to uh, his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So Jesus is continuing here to explain to the religious leaders and these crowds that are around him who, and he knows that those crowds are in danger of rejecting him. So he tells a story about a wedding. Now, a wedding was then, still is today, one of the most public events that any of us are ever involved in for us personally. And it's a significant event. Uh, it's an it's event that you invite people to. Well, a royal wedding, the wedding of a prince, would be even more spectacular. And if you got an invitation to a royal wedding, you would imagine that's something really special. You're not going to treat that the same as you may treat maybe some other invitation. It would be prized, I would imagine. Now, this parable that Jesus tells here, very similar to the parable in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, but there are some differences. R.T. France says, most preachers will use a good story more than once and in different forms to suit different contexts. And there is no improbability in Jesus doing likewise. Just an observation. So what does Jesus say? The people who were invited to the royal wedding, they were not willing to come. That's a strange refusal. The refusal to something that should be prized. This is the setting. Now, I think Jesus is really letting us know that that's why we struggle when people reject Jesus. Because we're like, well, that's not logical. Why would you do that? It's just, it's an invitation. It's a gift. You don't have to do anything. And you get eternal life by accepting the gift. And you have those conversations. This is the point that Jesus is starting to make here. Verse 4. So, 
They weren't willing to come, and again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, fatted cattle, they're killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them, the people who were bringing the royal wedding invitation. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. The king persists, even after the initial invitation is rejected, he consists by making the offer, the invitation, even more attractive. Why? Because he wanted them to come. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying here. Barclay says that when a great social event happened in the Jewish culture of that day, people were invited but without a set time. On the appropriate day when the host was ready to receive the guests, they sent out messengers to say that all things were ready and it was time to come to the feast. So the king in this parable had long ago sent out his invitations, but it was not until everything was prepared that the final summons was issued and insultingly refused. That's Barclay. Guzik, all things are ready. The quote, all things are ready, is the message of the gospel. You don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. He has made it ready for you. You just come to receive. Love that. What did they do? But they made light of it and went their ways. The reaction makes no sense whatsoever, but it gives an accurate description of the reaction of many people to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They make light of it. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I don't need that. I'm just going to go back to my own normal life, which I like. Spurgeon said this, the rebels seem to say, let the king do as he likes with his oxen and his fatlings. I'm going to look after my farm and attend to my merchandise. So what happened to the king in this parable? He was furious. He sends out his armies and destroys the murderers. Why? The king rightfully brings judgment on those offenders. Because not only did they actually reject his invitation, they actually murdered his messengers, which was a prophecy of what would happen to Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking to this, these religious leaders. They're strongly rejecting Jesus. They're strongly rejecting his message. And indeed, much of the rest of the, the, the Gospel of Matthew is, is addressed to the Jewish people regarding their position of rejecting Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. So then we go to verse 8. Then he said to his servants, still talking about the king, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants, these, those servants went out into the highways, gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, Jesus, remember, we read many times, Jesus came to his own first. He was a Jew. He came to the Jewish people. Uh, Luke 24, 47, the message, the, which is at the end of the Gospel of Luke, the message of Jesus, the Gospel message, would begin in Jerusalem and then go from the other most parts of the earth. Romans 1, 16, uh, Jesus, well, let, let's, let's read it. Let's, let's read here Romans 1. I always like to do things like that. Romans 1, 16, uh, for I am not ashamed, Paul Paul says, of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So it's for everyone, 
but it was for the Jew first. So, he sends out this invitation. As many as you find, invite to the wedding. He invited the Jewish people first, and they rejected him. The king was determined that he was not going to have an empty banquet hall. So an invitation was given to all who would hear. Now, they remember, Jesus is telling a parable. So we don't build theology by breaking down every single word. He's telling a story to illustrate the principle to them. Remember the religious leaders that he's talking to them about, or talking to them and what he's talking about. He invites the good and the bad. Now, it's not that they were good or bad. It's that society thought though there were some good and some bad. Society judged, oh, these people are good and these people are bad. But to Jesus, everybody is worthy of an invite. That's how Jesus looks at it. So when these first and second invitations were dramatically rejected, the third invitation is everybody, good or bad, not just the people you think. And so you could say that this parable also illustrates the principle of grace, that those who were invited and those who came were undeserving of the invitation, uh, much less actually being deserving of being in the wedding feast itself. So let's move on to verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. The king carefully examined the guests to see if they wore the garments that were customarily offered to those who attended the wedding feast, which is what would happen. You would get a robe when you came in. You didn't go in the same way that you were. We get to put on the the robe of righteousness. There's a man here and he's not right. He's not wearing the right garment. He was conspicuous. Jesus is telling the parable. This man came inappropriately dressed. The king notices. Spurgeon said this, the man came because he was invited, but he came only in appearance. The banquet was banquet was intended to honour the king's son, but this man meant nothing of the kind. He was willing to eat the good things that were set before him, but in his heart there was no love either for the king or his well-beloved son. So the king says, cast him into outer darkness. The man who did as he pleased at the wedding feast, instead of honouring the king and conforming to what the king expected, suffered a horrible fate. And this parable demonstrates to us that people who are indifferent to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, those people who are antagonistic towards the gospel message, uh, those people who are unchanged when they hear the gospel, they will suffer the same fate. None of them get to enjoy the king's feast. Revelation chapter 19, there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb. There's going to be an opportunity for those who come and accept Jesus Christ. And if people don't accept Jesus, then they're not going to be able to enjoy that marriage supper of the Lamb. Many are called, few are chosen. Everybody gets an invitation to the wedding, but not everybody RSVP'd. And some people turn up who didn't RSVP and they didn't wear the right clothes. 
There you go. That's that's painting an even broader picture. That's me telling a parable of a parable. So don't quote me on that. But I hope you understand what that the point there. Many are called. Everybody. Remember that word many there. That Greek word means everybody. Everybody's called. Few are chosen. How do you become part of the chosen? Responding to the invitation. If you're called, you respond to the call. Now you become chosen. Um, this is what Jesus was talking about in this particular parable. So then we move on to verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Here you've got two traditional enemies working together, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They, they didn't like each other, but they started working together, which is evidence of their incredible combined hatred, mutual hatred of Jesus because they were willing to put aside their own differences for the sake of uniting against Jesus. You know, there's a saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, even if we are also enemies. Why? Why Why is that saying something that we live by and that we see a lot? Because of pride, human pride. So they try to trap him with some sweet words. We know who you are. You teach the truth. You're amazing. You're just so, so wonderful, Jesus. And they they tried to adopt a posture of flattery to Jesus. They hoped that he would be insecure enough to be impressed by their praise and that he wouldn't see through it. A.B. Bruce, the compliment, besides being treacherous, was insulting, implying that Jesus was a reckless simpleton who would simply give himself away and a vain man who could be flattered. They had no clue who he was. So they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, there was a dilemma that was presented to Jesus in this question, because if he said that taxes should be paid, then he could be accused of denying the sovereignty of God over Israel, which would make him very unpopular with Jewish people. If he said that taxes should not be paid, then he makes himself an enemy of Rome. RT France, the word lawful here does not refer to Roman law. There was no question about that but to the law of God. Is it permissible for the people of God to express allegiance to a pagan emperor? Now, William Buckley talks about how there were three regular taxes of the day. There was a ground tax, which was a 10% tax on grain. And there was a 20% tax on oil and wine. Then there was income tax, which was 1% of your total income. Then there was a poll tax, P-O-L-L which was paid by every man who was aged 14 to 65 years of age and every woman aged 12 years to 65 years of age. And that tax, regardless of anything, you paid a denarius a year. So that's what a poll tax is. It's just everybody just pays for basically breathing. You, you're alive, oh, well, you should pay a tax. It's just another form of revenue raising. Some countries still have it today. Uh what the tax that the people here, these religious leaders were trying to flatter Jesus with and then trick him with this question, the question was about the poll tax. In other words, the one that applied to everybody. 
Carson said this, paying the poll tax was the most obvious sign of submission to Rome. Zealots claimed the poll tax was a God-dishonoring badge of slavery to the pagans. So, what does Jesus say? He says something very interesting as he responds to this particular question. So let's read from verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. And he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? Now, I actually have a coin that is a 2,000-year-old denarius right here. I'm going to put an image up so you can see it closer. That's one side of it there. And then there's the other side, which has the image of Caesar on it. Wouldn't it be amazing if this actual coin that I'm holding that I purchased in Jerusalem was, was the coin that Jesus held? I've often wondered that. Uh, it's one of my prized uh, antiquities that, uh, that I own. Jesus holds up this coin and he says, show me whose image, whose inscription. They said, Caesar's. He said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They tried to flatter him. They tried to trick him. He gives them the answer and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, we're just going to walk away right now. He gave them the most wise answer they weren't expecting. Jesus showed that he was in complete control. He rebuked the wickedness and hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And Jesus affirmed that the government makes legitimate requests of it, of us. It, it, there's, there's an image of Caesar on this denarius. So Jesus was holding up something that was tangible to them. And he said, we're responsible to God in all things but we must be obedient to government in matters that uh, are civil and national. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 said, Fear God, honour the king. Every Christian has a double citizenship, Barclay. He's a citizen of the country in which he happens to live. To it, he owes many things. He owes the safety against lawless men, which only a settled government can give, and he owes all public services. The word render, render therefore to Caesar, means generally to give back, whereas the verb that they had used in verse 17 was simply just give. It's the verb for paying a bill or settling a debt. They owe it to him. That's France says that. And to God, the things that are God's. Everyone has the image of God impressed upon them, everyone. This means that we belong to God. We, we don't belong to Caesar. We don't even belong to ourselves. Bruce said this, by treating them as distinct, Jesus said, in effect, the kingdom of God is not of this world. It's possible to be a true citizen of the kingdom and yet quietly submit to the civil rule of a foreign potentate. Adam Clark, it establishes the limits. It regulates the rights, distinguishes the jurisdiction of the two empires of heaven and earth. The image of princes stamped on their coins denotes the temporal things belong to all their government. The image of God stamped on the soul denotes that all its faculties and powers belong to the Most High and should be employed in his service. 
Interestingly, had the Jewish people rendered unto God his due, they would never have had to render anything to Caesar. And in New Testament times, they would never have endured the occupying oppression of the Roman Empire if they had have been obedient to their covenant with God, which leads us to our observation for today. We're all invited to the wedding feast. So what we need to do is we need to do our best to bring as many people as we possibly can because everybody's been invited. So we should be looking around for as many people as possible. Hey, you're going to come, right? You're going to come. Don't you? I always say to people, don't invite people to church. Bring them to church. When, when Andrew met Jesus, he went and brought Peter to Jesus. He didn't invite him. He just said, hey, he didn't say, hey, listen, met this guy. I, I'm pretty convinced he's the Messiah. Would you like to come with me? He was like, no, you're going to come with me. We're going to become more, more about bringing than just inviting. Because God's already done the inviting. So it's up to us to do the bringing. That's the difference. Here's the second thing to observe. Always remember that the image of God is on your soul. The image of Caesar might be on this coin. But the image of God is on our lives and the image of Jesus is on our hearts. When we struggle with whether we are to honour the king or fear God, we always fear God over honouring the king. What does that mean? Romans 13 gives us guidelines of what to do when we, we find there's a conflict between what the king, what the government's asking us to do, and what God is asking us to do. And when there's a conflict, we do what God has asked us to do. This is the point that Jesus was making. Render unto God the things that are God's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Understanding that the fear of God is above the honouring of the king. So I hope that helps a little bit today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great journey in your word. Thank you for these wonderful stories and these wonderful opportunities for us to understand uh, our Heavenly Father's heart and the wonderfully wise words of Jesus. And we pray that the image of God would be evident on our lives. And when people say, "Who for whom are you giving your life? I'm giving it for that wonderful person that is on my heart, the image that you see, my Lord and Saviour Jesus, my Heavenly Father, that's who I am giving my life for. Let's not, Father, live lives of pure salvation. Let us live lives of calling. Let us live lives where we don't just accept the gift, that we don't just accept the invitation and come to the wedding feast. But God, that we operate in the things that you've called us to do and we become disciples and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.